Uh, well, good morning, Faith Church family. It is great to see all of you here, whether you're here in person or over at our community center or uh, the majority of you sitting at home on your comfortable couch, uh, possibly still in your pajamas and with a cup of coffee. Must be nice. Uh, anyway, so the past several weeks, uh, we've been going through a series titled Knowing God. And uh, we've been learning and exploring uh, these different aspects of who God is. And it's been a blessing to myself to learn these from uh, all the pastors that we have here, to learn about these different aspects. And when uh, Pastor Derek asked us, uh, Pastor Ed, Jake, and myself, to consider an aspect of God uh, that, is, that pertains to us, that we have been affected by, in a way that is a little bit different and a little bit more powerful than some of these other ones. So, the one that I am working on this morning uh, and bringing to you guys is uh, God's omnipresence. Now, that is a big word. Now, what does that mean? So let's break it down really quick. So omni, uh, the prefix of the word, comes from the Latin language, and omni just means all. So, uh, and we know what presence means, so all presence, and to put it simply, uh, even, even easier, everywhere. So God is everywhere, all the time, all places. Uh, don't think about it too hard, because if you do, your head starts to hurt, because it just doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> and this is what I chose to do. So, you know, so that's good. So as we've been going through the series, there's a, a couple words that we have used to categorize the aspects and characteristics of who God is. And those two words are communicable and incommunicable. So another two large words, so I'm going to break that down really quick. So we'll start with communicable because that's a little bit easier to digest. So what that means is those are aspects of God's character that he has communicated, communicable, that he has communicated to us and that we have. So some of those attributes will be love, and there'll be grace, and mercy, and justice, and goodness. Um, one of the easy ways to think about it is the fruits of the Spirit. So all those things are given to us, they are communicated to us by God. So these are things that are perfect in his character, and who he is, and these are things that we can uh, ascribe to, that we can attain to. So we can show these things to ourselves, to people, to the world, to the church. So these are things that we can do. So incommunicable, the second category, are aspects of God's nature that uh, make him unique, that make him other. So last week, Derek talked about God's... Um, so sorry. <laughs> uh, talked about his... I know, I'm so sorry. Independence. There it is. Thank you. Last week, Pastor Derek talked about God's independence. So God literally needs nothing from us. He needs nothing from his creation, but he chose uh, for us to bring him glory. And he doesn't need it. He doesn't need our love. These are things that make him independent of his creation. And so we need food uh, we need each other's encouragement. We need all these things. So we are not independent. Another one is God's omnipotence, which means all-powerful. And so we are not all-powerful. Only God is. 
Uh, and so another one that we, the one that we're looking at today um, is God's omnipresence. So I cannot be here in Dallas and also be on the beaches of Hawaii relaxing with my family, and I also can't be in Japan. Neither can you. If you can, let me know. Um, but I cannot. So we do not have omnipresence. So this falls into the category of incommunicable attributes. Whom, these are things that make God unique. So, I'm going to give you a more formal definition than what I've given you so far. Um, this comes uh, from Wayne Grudem. Uh, he is a professor at the uh, University of Phoenix uh, Theology. And uh, he wrote this like 1,200-page book. It's called Systematic Theology. Wonderful book. But anyways, so the definition he gave us, as you'll see on the screen, is God does not have space or spatial dimensions dimensions, and is present at every point of space with his whole being, yet God acts differently in different places. So if you're like me, that doesn't really clear much up, but, uh, but we're going we're gonna to try. So let's give this a shot. So if we take a look at the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, it tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So this shows us that God is outside and unreliant upon his creation, that he is other. Uh, one way to kind of wrap your head around it is if you take a craftsman and say he is making a table. The table is his creation, but he is not reliant upon that table. He made it. It has aspects of his character, uh, the way that he may have crafted uh, you know, the legs or the tabletop with different, you know, routing bits and all these things and hand carving. But it is not him, but he made it. So the other way, uh, make sure you don't picture God as this enormous, huge being that is larger than the known universe, because that is not who God is either. So his finger is not in Oregon and his elbow was in Europe. That's not how, so he's not massive. I mean, he is massive, but that's not how it works. So all of God is with us here. All of God is with them in Chicago. He is everywhere. It's not, yeah, I know. It's a difficult concept, uh, but don't try. Another way to think about this is picture a sponge full of water. So if you have that, uh, the sponge is completely full of water. Water is everywhere in the sponge, but they are two separate things. They have two separate aspects once again, don't think too hard about this, because if you put it under an electron microscope, you can see the compounds of water where there is no sponge and vice versa, and so it doesn't work. But in the big picture scheme, sponge full of water, it kind of helps. So um, let's go away from the analogies, because they're not perfect. Uh, I want to bring some scripture to this uh, to help us out. So as I read these verses, uh, try to take in the enormity and the gravity of our awesome, great, and ever-present and omnipresent God who created every single atom that is here, who created every single aspect of who we are and who our family is and uh, what creation is like with the creativity and intentionality of his mind. So I'm going to read through these six verses. So whether you need to close your eyes, just take these in. 1 Kings 8, 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven 
and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Isaiah 66, 1 through 2, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things have my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Jeremiah 23, 23-24, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Ephesians 4.6, One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And the last one, Psalm 139.7-10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So these verses, they speak of God being everywhere, no matter where we go, that his hand is with us that he never leaves us, and that he is always present. So I want to bring this down to ways that we can apply to our lives. And I've, I mean, there's dozens and hundreds of ways that we could think about this, but there's three that I've identified that I think are pretty pertinent to us today. Uh, Two deal with our personal lives, and the third one deals with us as a community and the church. And so the first one, Um, it is good to know that wherever I go, God will also be there. That is comforting. It is incredibly comforting. I cannot run so far that God will not be there. There's no place I can go. That's what that last verse read that I read from Psalm 139 taught us, that we can go to the highest heaven and he's there. We can make our bed in Sheol and he's there. We can go to the depths of the sea and he's there. And so the, the first one, the first uh, application that I want to talk about is that God is with you always, even when you're sinning. I read something last week uh, that wove the story of a man who had decided in his heart to sin. So he went home and he uh, locked the doors and he closed all the blinds, turned off the lights, uh, turned off his phone. You know, he made sure, you know, his car was in the garage, so no one knew he was there. And still more paranoid, he turns off his phone, and he runs to a closet, closes the door, and decides in his heart that it's time. And then in his heart, God whispers, I'm still here. You have not ran far enough to leave my presence. Even in our heart, when we decide to do wrong, he's still there. He does not leave us. 
He's here in our hurt, in our struggles, in your sinful thoughts, and in your mind, wherever that may take you. There's nothing that you can do that can drive God away. He cares and loves you way too much to leave you in your mess and in your hurting and in your mistakes. But, Pastor Matt, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the circumstances. You don't know who I've hurt. You don't know how I've messed up. You don't know how badly I've done. And you're right, I don't understand. But God does. I guarantee you that you are not alone. I can 100% guarantee that. You know, I can guarantee that God has not spent the last 6,000 years of creation being with every single person we can imagine. He never left Adam and Eve, who, I mean, they didn't really help us out when it came to the whole sin category. Um, He never left them. He never left King David when he messed up a lot. He never left Saul before he became Paul. Think about what he was doing. He was killing the early church. God never left him. And so don't think for a second that God's like, well, you know what? It's been a good run. I think I'm just going to stop with this person. You know, they've done a lot, messed up a lot. You know, I don't love them enough to fix that. I don't love him enough to fix that. Thankfully, that's not our God. Don't for a second believe that you have enough skill to mess up enough for God to leave. You know, one of these other aspects that fall into the incommunicable category is God's unchangeableness. So thankfully, 6,000 years plus, we can read the entirety of the scripture and see that he has never changed in this part. So, let's read Psalm 139, 1 through 6 really quick and see what God says about this. This comes right before the passage that we just read. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem in me behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, and it is high. I cannot attain it. And then I also want to read from Isaiah 43, 2, and it says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned in the flames shall not consume you. I mean, there are so many more verses we could use, but God is always with us, especially when we mess up and in our hurt and in our pain. And the best part is that he is always with us, even in our joy. And he is with us when we are rejoicing when things are going great he still doesn't leave us so 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us do you know 
that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. So what does that mean? So here, here at Faith, we talk about the Trinity. Um, here's another concept that we can't wrap our heads around. Uh, but the three persons of the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the persons of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, literally makes his dwelling within us, which means God is always with us. He never leaves us, and he never forsakes us. So when you really think about it, there is a host of emotions that should be coming to your mind. Or maybe you can remember the time once that clicked and it was revealed to you that, wait, God is always present. He is always there with us. So the first one uh, should be just a little bit of fear. Um, Because really when you think about it, you're like, okay, so God's always here all the time. So that means even when I mess up, he knows, which should scare you just a little bit. Okay, it's a good thing. Um, and so I can tell you from my experience that I never want any of my mistakes or sin or any of that stuff to come into the light, you know, because I don't want people who love me to leave and see like, okay, that's a bit too much. I can't deal with that. But that's not God, right? We know this. It's not him. So just to remind you, should be trembling just a little bit. Small amount. Uh, And the second one, the fact that God is everywhere all around us and lives inside of us should cause a host of emotions. The second one and many after should be an overwhelming sense of comfort and love and joy. Right? And you you could keep on going on and on with all the great emotions that you can think of when you realize that God never leaves you and that he's always with you. So consider what I said, you know, before with God knowing all your deepest and darkest secrets and parts of you and consider that he is still there and still loves you and still has not chosen to leave you. So if we take a look at the book of Romans, uh, verse 38, chapter 8, verse 38 through 39, uh, Paul is telling the Romans and telling all of us, Uh, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. There is nothing we can do. There's nothing anyone else can do. There's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of Christ separate us from the love of God. I mean, if you think about Genesis 1-1 again, where we were at the beginning, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, there is, God is, is saying that there is nothing that he made, that he created, that can separate us from him. That's pretty cool to think about. And once again, you know, we can't go too deep in the sea. We can't fly too high. We can't go too far into the outer reaches of space to where God is not present. You can't climb too high. You can't run too fast or too far that he's not there. 
And you can't recede within yourself too far in shame and guilt that he's not there. That's good news. That is really good news. So, I mean, really, it should bring you, at least on the basic level, an overwhelming sense of relief, knowing that he's not going to leave us, right? So we can, we can mess up. I mean, Paul talks about how that doesn't give us permission to sin, but it should give us a lot of encouragement that when we do sin and when we do mess up and when we do want to hide and run, he's like, sorry, already there. You can't leave me. Right? It's not in his character to abandon you. One of those attributes that I talked about is his unchangeableness. He can't change who he is. Like, at least plant your stick there. Like, this is the flag I'm planting. God can't change. I mean, at least a bit of relief that it should give you. So the last implication uh, that I want to spend just a minute on uh, is in reference to God's omnipresence with something that I've already brought up, um, but concerns us as the entire church and as a whole. So I already read uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16, and we know that the Holy Spirit lives within us, right? And we are now his temple. Uh, So that temple reference comes from the Old Testament where the Israelites, uh, once they they made their home and they built their cities in Jerusalem, uh, King Solomon built a temple for God. Before they were using a tabernacle, which was this huge tent thing that they were carrying around and had to set up all the time, and it was a lot of work, I'm sure. Um, But no, they built this temple, and it was absolutely incredible. I mean, it's said to be one of the seven wonders of the original seven wonders of the world, and just resplendent in glory for God. And there was a room in there called the Holy of Holies that the high priest of the Levite clan entered only once a year uh, to uh, bring offering to God for the sins of the entire nation of Israel. Uh, And it was there that the Ark of the Covenant rested um, and where God's presence uh, particularly manifested sitting on top. Um, So if you've ever seen... Uh, the historically accurate Indiana Jones and uh, the first one, Lost Ark, and uh, the Ark of the Covenant is one of is the main focal point of there. And I mean, opened up and everyone died. And I mean, you know, but picture that, okay? So picture that. So it's in there. It's in the Holy of Holies, and only high priests can go in there once a year, right? And sometimes I they it tells us that they tied a rope to the guy's ankle because every so often. He just died in the presence of God because his presence was just so overwhelming it literally killed the guy, and so they had to drag him out. I mean, that's, that's fun. Um, but anyways, so there was this veil um, that was 45 feet tall, which is double the height in here, and four inches thick of fabric. And it was a veil that separated the temple from the holy place to the holy of holies. So it box it off. Um, and when Christ died, we were, you know, the scriptures tell us that the veil tore in half. Um, so four inches of fabric, 45 feet tall, tore in half. And so it was this, it was this physical symbol of God's presence leaving the temple and entering into our lives. So he was in the temple, he was there for 
1,400 years. I mean, the temple was there for 1,000 or so. And then the veil tore. Um, and then the Spirit, uh, like on Pentecost, you know, indwelled the disciples first with the flames on, on top of their heads, and that was their symbol that the Spirit now lives among you. That is no longer just in the temple made by man that he now takes his residence up inside of us. So, all of that to say is that he, uh, is that now the, the, the church, and we say this a lot around here, that the church is not a building, right? The church is us. The church is a people. And we can see this, I mean, literally, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and that God is always with us. He's not contained. There's verses in the Bible that say he is not contained by buildings made by human hands, that he now dwells within us. So give, the, give this a little bit of thought. I mean, especially over the past eight months, you know, there was five months where we just couldn't meet. And church looked different. It looked very different. And it's still different. But the church is us, right? We are Jesus Christ's bride. And he is working day and night to present us as a holy and blameless bride to God and saying like look at your church because of because of me my righteousness makes him clean I want to present this church to you Lord and so because of this if if the church is not a building right which we don't believe it is what if we are called to actually call ourselves a church? What if we are called to stop loving the actual building? What if we're stopped to call loving, to stop loving our floral carpet or our hallways or our classrooms or our stages or our crosses or our podiums or our chairs? What if we're stopped to, call, to stop loving those things? What if God's calling us to give those things up so that we can learn and really take in what the church is? That's our job. If God is omnipresent, which we believe he is, and if the Holy Spirit lives within us as believers, which we know he is, then that means that as his church, outside of the building, we are his church. And then to take it even a step further, what if we stopped relying on the pastor on Sunday mornings to feed us? That would be like having one meal a week. One go too good for you. What if we stopped relying on the worship songs on Sunday morning to be the only time we worshiped during the week, and only if the worship pastor picked songs that you actually liked? What if we stopped relying on Sunday morning church to bring new people into the body of Christ? What if that was a 24-7, 156-hour-a-week deal? What if we took the Great Commission seriously to go out into all the nations? And that doesn't mean you're called to be a missionary overseas. That means maybe your neighbor next door, that you present the gospel to them. What if we took the verse that tells us 
Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Yes, that is a real verse, to work out your own salvation. Philippians 2, 12 through 3. You can look that up later. So the verse does not say, have your pastor work out your salvation for you. And it also doesn't say, work out your salvation only on Sunday mornings. And don't get me wrong, I'm a pastor. I quite enjoy Sunday mornings. I like church, right? It's kind of a job. Um, but it's our responsibility to grow our own relationship in Christ, right? I mean, we say these things, but when you really think about it, it's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to rely on someone else. I mean, we can, we can learn from others, and we can grow through others, but if we're not putting in the time to do it, it's not a great relationship. I mean, if you really think about it, if you bring it down to a level that a lot of us can relate to, if you're trying to date someone, right, you, you, you go on dates with them. You ask questions. You get to know them. You study them. You know, you become a student of who they are. It would be like sitting down with one of their friends 30 minutes a week and saying, hey, can you tell this person I'm trying to date about me? Because you're a friend, right? So you know them pretty well. And you only do it 30 minutes a week, and this friend is reading their letters to you. Like, does that make any sense? That's a pretty bad relationship. And in the end, you'd begin to idolize that friend more than you would the person you're actually trying to date. You got to build that relationship with Christ. He gives us this opportunity through the Holy Spirit. Christ is our mediator to God the Father to be in relationship with him. Right? So if we believe he's omnipresent, which we sort of begin to get an understanding this morning about, then we believe that he's always with us, and that means we can always be in communication with him all the time. So if you're driving home, just start talking. Just start praying. He wants to get to know you. He wants, him, he wants you to know him better than you do today. You know, you don't have to do everything perfect on day one. You know, just start somewhere. That's all he asks. And then when we're looking at the church, you know, that brings us some pretty serious realities. We need to be looking at these idols that we may have built that we have thought over the past, you know, decades that, oh, this is the way it has to be. This is church. Okay, maybe, maybe God is calling us to something new. The message never changes, but maybe the way we present the message, the method, does change. We've seen that happen time and time again, and maybe this is one of those times. Okay, so consider in yourself what that idol or idols may be. I know I have some. I'm sure you guys do too. Maybe it's time to put those idols down. Just focus on what God has for us because he's with us all the time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, as we try to wrap our heads around this concept of your omnipresence, God, that you are with us 
always, and you are everywhere. All of you is with all of us everywhere, God. I mean, it doesn't make any sense because our physical minds can't wrap our heads around it. But God, you've shown us time and time again who you are, that you have never left us. The highest mountain in the deepest sea, in the deepest recesses of our mind, Lord, you are still there and active and present. Lord, let us, let us take that in, have a little fear, but a lot of comfort because of who you are. And Lord, as we, as we look at these idols in our life, specifically when it comes to church and what that looks like, let's tear them down, let's lay them at your feet, Lord, and say, whatever you will, may the message never change, but maybe a method has to to reach the lost, God. Because that's one of our jobs. That's what you call us to, is to go to the ends of the earth and proclaim your good news and baptize them in your name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them. God, we can't teach out of an empty cup. So let us fill, let us be filled with your Spirit as we put in the time to build our relationship with you, Lord. May it invade every single part of our lives. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.